We're not crazy, the system is. Tune in to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, Wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on Pacifica Affiliate WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio. Produced by Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. Streaming live, podcasting, and archived at madnessradio.net. And thanks for tuning in to Madness Radio. I'm your host, Will Hall. And today we're going to be looking at psychosis and mysticism. We have a guest, Mina, from the Portland Icarus Project. But first, a few words about the producers of Madness Radio. Um, Freedom Center is an activism support and advocacy community in the western Massachusetts um, area, the Pioneer Valley, people who are diagnosed with severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia, depression, bipolar, and who are working for alternatives to the mainstream system, working for human rights, um, holistic options for people, informed consent, um, doing political activism around pharmaceutical company politics and corruption. Um, We have a lot of public events. We do legal advocacy for people. We have support groups. You can find out more information on our website, which is freedom-center.org. And Madness Radio is also sponsored by the Icarus Project. And the Icarus Project is an online community and network of local groups of people who have mental health diagnoses but don't identify with the mainstream medical interpretations and are looking for creativity and spirituality and holistic options as uh, alternative ways of defining our experiences. You can check out the Icarus Project website, which is the IcarusProject.net. And again, the Freedom Center website is freedom-center.org. And today is an interview with a friend of mine from Portland, Oregon, Mina, who is one of the lead organizers with uh, the Icarus Project. And the Icarus Project is a support network in the Portland area. They have a support group, they do events, they do uh, speaking, they help each other deal with crisis and wellness. And uh, Mina has got a lot of experience um, helping people through different kind of crisis and has been through a lot of uh, mental health experiences herself and has a real spiritual um, interpretation, spiritual understanding of the visionary states that she goes through. She's also the author of a really cool uh, zine of her writing called Walking Between the Worlds, Everyday Journeys Within Psychosis and Mysticism. Mina, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Here, I um, actually met you and the folks from the Portland Icarus Project um, several months ago when I was out there, and I was really impressed by the work that you're doing. You've got a weekly group that's been meeting for several months now. Yeah, the uh, Portland Icarus Project was started here by myself and a few other people uh, last May 2006 and has been going strong and through various incarnations for the last year now. We have a support discussion group, an activist group, a book group, um, and do various workshops around town. And you go to different events. You go and do tabling at... um uh, music shows and things, and 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 you really got involved in this just from your own experiences of um, well, the language is always really weird, but psychotic experiences or mystical experiences. When did that really start for you? I mean, is this something that you've had contact with since you were a kid, or does it did it was there a particular time that it got going in your life? Um, it's you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that um, I've actually had various what they call psychotic moments throughout my entire life, and as a kid, we grow up and we're really sensitive to um, otherworldly activity and kind of learn how to not notice it anymore or believe that it's not true, so it sort of goes away, and so 
those sensitivities, as I call them, um, are something I, I feel like we can always tap back into. But I never noticed that it was actually something I wasn't supposed to be either enjoying or learning about or, or whatnot. So, yeah, it's been something that's been going on for quite some time. So when you say otherworldly kind of experiences, I mean, like, paint a picture for us. What, what are you talking about, contacting other dimensions or creatures or just distortions of perception or what, what kinds of things? Um, let's see here. I'm kind of of the mind that everybody has different ways that they tap into the universe around you. And the universe is not this one plane existence that we sort of live in. It's sort of a multifaceted, multidimensional, alive being that we're within. And when I speak in the language that I use to create for myself to understand is when I talk about the other world, I usually talk about either the spirit world or... um, different kinds of beings that I have, have a privy to, whether it's through visual representation or vocal representation. Um, there are various cultures around the world and th- throughout time who have had very similar experiences, whether they are Native Americans who have sightseers or gypsies who have the second sight or British Isles where people could see the fae or... You know, in Africa, the the healers there who had access to understanding plants and uh, the elements, like OSHA from the ocean, and oops, that has to be edited. Um, And so it's not new that various cultures throughout the world have these sort of what we call shamanic or urban shaman or spirit walkers that have access to these realities that are with us at all times but were these experiences like negative for you as a as a kid was there like fear and trauma associated with it or um well some things are a result of trauma and some are not i'm i'm pretty familiar with the idea of being traumatized as a young individual say like being five or six years old and that sort of triggering disassociative states I completely agree with the idea of disassociative states because I think that we use various survival techniques to take care of ourselves. However, I also think that there are those of us who are just innately sensitive, whether it's on an emotional, spiritual, physical, or mental level. And so those traumatic moments are actually triggering something that was already innate within us. So... In terms of myself, did I have traumatic experiences when I was a child? Yeah, I did. Um, But I feel pretty well healed over on those experiences, and I don't really feel like they're the reason why I have carried on with these experiences. If anything, they were just the medium through which these sensitivities were able to be triggered. So how did you, um, because it sounds like this is a pretty positive, like a gift sort of, you know, having access to these healing and spirit world connection. sounds like it's a very positive thing, but when did you get connected to the mental health system? Uh, well, I, I want to mention that it's not always a positive thing. Um, I have a pretty positive outlook in general, but I recognize that it's not always fun. It's not other, always spiritual, otherworldly, sort of new age kind of idea. It's also very dramatic and chaotic and hurtful and dangerous, too. Um, that takes a lot of time to understand, and which I'm still working on. 
Uh, I've been a part of the mental health system in and out pretty much my whole life. Um, so I've had various labels and whatnot. Um, and at, at 14, I actually was diagnosed schizophrenic and I ran away from home because I didn't like that idea. I had, you know, the popular idea that, oh, if you're schizophrenic, you, you're in straitjackets and you get locked away into some padded cell and no one ever hears from you again, you know, so. Right, that's a pretty heavy thing to be told when you're, when you're 14. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was and, and the whole setup of it was really bizarre, too. So, you know, after many a years and me just sort of, like, rejecting that idea, I'm like, no, that's not me at all, you know, um, I actually was reintroduced to the um, mental health system, which I had taken pains to avoid at all costs due to my absolute terror of being locked up, and was actually in and out of hospitals due to suicidal attempts and hearing voices and uh, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with psychotic features, um, which... (laughs) again, tended to grow due to the more information that I started giving my, my doctors once I felt comfortable with them into schizoaffective bipolar type. So, yeah, so I guess a very long, long drawn-out mental health sort of um, experience with the system and then finally deciding that I didn't really agree with what anybody was saying to me about my own experiences and in one sort of frenzy of an evening (laughs) was on the Internet, which I never even was ever on the Internet. I was terrified of the computers and the Internet in general and sat up all night searching for the answer and came across the Icarus Project. Right, and that's, I guess, when you got involved with um, starting the Portland group? No, no. I actually got involved with the website um, about three years ago now, Um, and was just a member, and I had various member incarnations, as, as I tend to do, and was there for quite a while and watched it grow and change and whatnot. And I actually started getting more involved with the Icarus Project due to, strangely, a psychotic episode that I was having that involved uh, Sasha Scatter. And him and I ended up having a very long phone conversation, and he was you know, wildly interested in the things that I was going through. And just had all the confidence in me in the world and asked me to be, help moderate the site and take care of it in these ways. And I'm thinking, like, but wait a minute. There are imps eating my pillow, and you want me to help do what? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, no, it'll be fantastic. You should bring that element on board. And, and at the time, like, people weren't really talking about psychosis in this kind of way, even on the site. And so I just started digging into it. So the Portland Icarus Project came out about a year ago once I moved here. And so there, and there are a lot of people who come to the group and who are going through really difficult states. What kinds of things do you find that are helpful for people? Um, when it comes to psychosis, um, which I, I really don't like using that word, it, it tends to be very uh, medical jargon related. Um, I find that people coming up with words to define their own experiences gives them a lot of empowerment. Um, so in terms of hearing voices or having visions or doing journeying is what I like to say. I, I always let them know that it is, it is definitely dangerous and that just because you have something that can be perceived as or 
lived as a gift doesn't mean that it's always going to be, you know, sunshine and roses. I tell them to get in touch with what they're actually hearing, um, what they're actually perceiving they're hearing, whether it's via old trauma, whether it's via old negative tapes they have of themselves, or if it's actually things that they're, someone's trying to communicate with them. Um, I have them, I talk with them a lot about writing out these things and developing a language with, which helps to make them feel empowered and finding other people with which they feel safe to either talk with or express these things since there's so much stigma related around voices and visions. Um, so definitely coming up with language is, is a key thing, having people you can talk to. Um, some people don't feel necessarily comfortable talking about voices and visions in a primarily bipolar group. So we'll have outside conversations about how we can start being seen within the community of radical mental health. Because um, most people, I guess, just go through more like mood swings, like high energy manic states that don't necessarily have those voices and visions sort of spiritual side to it and that's sort of the, the bipolar experience more right right and I, I try not to label anybody's experiences too much especially in a medical jargon that wasn't created by us in our experiences um, but for people who are saying you know but I'm in pain they're calling me a whole slew of names they're trying to get me to harm myself um, so one of the big things when it comes to negative voice talk or negative visions is to find out what they want. Why are they trying to harm you? What are they, what are they doing to you? And how is it that you can put up a boundary to separate yourself? Um, really good grounding meditation techniques, remembering to breathe, remembering to visualization, visualize being in a bubble, um, so that you can start bringing your own core self back to yourself so you're not flying off in a bunch of different directions feeling as though you have absolutely no control over anything um, so and making sure they're having good nutrition there's a lot of things that trigger psychotic like elements um, too much caffeine having a wheat intolerance or gluten intolerance alcohol um, marijuana at times um, Various different, even psych medications, so various different kinds of elements that we put in our body that we think are helping or self-medicating actually lead to these continued states of unhealthy psychosis. So you were, you were on medications for a while. Was that helpful to you, or how did that go for you? Um, let's see. At first, they weren't helpful at all, um, just because we hadn't found the right mix. Um, you know, I found that um, one of the more heavy-duty antipsychotics was really helpful in a sense of, like, stuffing down those things, but I couldn't necessarily, like, walk or talk on a regular basis. And there were actually a few medications I was on that worked quite well um, in helping me. I was in school at the time, and so they really helped me to stay somewhat focused in terms of school. However, I had to give up certain elements of myself, like memory, um, concentration, dream life, um, sensitivity, orgasm, things that were still innate to who I was. but Some pretty important things yeah, there, actually. Definitely very important things, but I felt that since I was in school, I could sort of, I had to, it was sort of a give or take, like, okay, I want to finish school, but to do that, I need to let go of these things. And so when I was through with school, um, I decided that medication wasn't best for me. But there were things leading up to that, like the medication seemed to not be working anymore. 
and it didn't matter the combination that I took. I started having really bad um, interactions with the medications, um, feeling homicidal and then extremely suicidal. And I was still having voices and visions, and this time they were at like a, a more extreme quality where they were, felt very dangerous. And um, you think the medications might have been contributing to some of the worsening of that? I, I believe so. Maybe not for the same reasons um, that are out there. <laughs> um, I, I do think it, it is sort of a messing with the chemicals uh, of your mind, um, having taken quite a few pre-medical sciences. Um, I, I definitely think it messes with the chemistry in a sense, but I also feel like there's this this mind-body-spirit element that we don't give enough rise to here in Western society that these voices and visions and these sensitivities, whether you're just feeling um, extreme connectedness to the world or extreme depression or, or whatever you want to call it, like they're still coming to us for a reason. There's still a purpose to them. And so I felt like the medications weren't necessarily curing anything. They were just sort of like holding a net over this stuff. And so finally, the stuff itself was saying, my mind-body connection saying, I, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. So we're going to find cracks in this, this net here. And sort of pushing its way up. Um, I think there's, there's a type of idea behind that called spiritual emergence that I haven't necessarily looked into too much, but it's the idea that your spirit decides that it's in crisis and it needs to be releasing something in order for you to learn a lesson or a journey or whatnot. And so it pushes you through into a hyper state for you to be able to pay attention, basically, and say, oh, this is something I need to look at. So you were never really um, a believer in the kind of medical message that, oh, you've got schizophrenia, you have to take drugs, that's just the end, end of the story. You always had a belief that, you know, yeah, actually you could navigate without medication. Maybe if you didn't have the pressures of being in, in school, or you had the right context. And how, was it easy to get off the meds or was it a struggle or is it adjustment? Did you go through an adjustment period or? Um, well, there's actually two, two statements within what you're saying. I, within, I always felt like, you know what? I, I never felt like, I never felt like being able to hear things or see things was necessarily wrong or bad or, or detrimental. I did feel like at times it got out of hand and I did need to learn tools and the medications were not necessarily giving me those tools. Um, but in terms of finding those tools, I needed to have a, a base in order to start with. And I did feel like at the time the medication held back things far enough that I was able to, to continue on a regular yoga practice, continue looking at my diet. Um, so when I did decide to go off medications, um, it, it was really, really difficult. Um, it actually was through a rough and tumble sort of period where I actually ended up in the hospital um, due to one of the medications. And after that point, I decided I wasn't doing this anymore. I was not going to be on these medications because they were obviously more of a threat to my life than I was. So I... Uh, one medication in particular I, I went slowly off of, but the other three medications I was on, I pretty much stopped. And it was absolutely the most horrible experience um, I've ever had within my whole body-mind complex. So you just went cold turkey off of three different psychiatric drugs. That must have been really pretty um, wrenching. I had 
been slowly, slowly um, coming down from them. I think sort of subconsciously I had decided months beforehand that I was not going to be taking these meds anymore. So I had been sort of playing around, like slowly taking myself off certain ones, um, especially the the antipsychotics and, and SSRIs. I was slowly coming down off of those because I knew that um, it was necessary, but I hadn't actually decided when I was going to go off. I just knew that sometime in the future. And so normally I'm, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of myself or other people, whether it's trying out new foods or an herb, to always go very, very slow. So subconsciously I was going very slow, but after I got into the hospital and I sort of had three days where they sort of took me off all those old meds and were pumping me full of new ones, I decided, no, no, I, this is, this is not going to be what's best for me. So, Which was the yeah. drug that was causing so many problems? You said there was one in particular that was really problematic. Um, the Welbutrin was the one that caused a lot of problems for me. Um, I ha- I'd gone through a, a whole slew of drugs in my in my life, and the SSRIs weren't really, really working for me. And so I decided to try Welbutrin, and it completely shifted my entire personality. Um, I was extremely aggressive. I was extremely homicidal. <laughs> I was extremely suicidal in this way that was just very not like me. You know, I, I'm pretty giggly and wiggly, and, and I was none of those things. I was very, like, to the point business in, in a, such an aggressive manner that my newfound friends of the Portland Icarus Project were really concerned whether or not I was like this all the time. So, yeah, it's kind of because I know you. It's kind of hard to imagine imagine Mina as an aggressive, homicidal <laughs> character. Yeah. But now, now you're totally off all the medication. What kinds of things do you do to kind of keep yourself? And and it sounds like you now have access to these these spirit worlds. But what do you do to kind of navigate? And how do you kind of keep yourself um, grounded at the same time having access to those states? You know, I, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert. I, I think, well, let me say that in, in going off of medication, um, it, it takes a lot of support from your community and the people that you know in your life because it, it's, it's really ugly. It's really, really ugly. You question your, what emotions are yours. You question whether or not you should actually really be on them you sort of go into this rebound phase where everything, your depression, your mania, your psychosis, your voices, your visions, everything starts flooding you at once as things are leaving your system. Yeah, your, so, bra- your brain chemistry is adjusting to this whole new... Your brain new... chemistry, your body, your, the things that are stored within your muscles and your tissue, your emotions, everything. It's starts... a de- detoxification process. Absolutely. And so in order <laughs> to aid that process, I was actually homeless living in a van and had no job, which I think worked to my advantage, to be honest. Because <laughs> right, I could right. Just, well, maybe you know, wouldn't recommend yeah. that, but it seemed at the moment, it, no, at I the time it worked. No, I wouldn't recommend that at all. Yeah. And I didn't drive. I just, my van was parked <laughs> somewhere. I just pretty much like sat in there and screamed and freaked out and hugged trees and like walked around at night and made sure somebody was following me and and which so, was this part yeah. of the part of the story here is there was really nowhere else for you to go. It wasn't like there was a lot of mental health residences yeah. that would allow you to just have some safe sanctuary to kind of detox from the the drugs, which is one of the things that we've been calling for as as a movement. But it sounds like you were able to find your own way to do it with this kind of homeless living in a van 
situation. How how long did that process take, and is it still ongoing, or or where are you with it now? Um, well, I'm not homeless any longer. I've actually been living in an apartment for two months now. I was homeless for about a year, and I was living in a van for about six months, and I. I had a lot of um, background knowledge of herbs and my diet, and I'm really, really aware of myself. So I sort of had that kind of going for me, and I had had training in Chinese medicine. Um, so I had a lot of things going for me already in terms of being able to take care of myself in an op- alternative or complementary way. But you didn't really have like a psychiatrist or a doctor or a therapist that you were working under the guidance of. You were just basically guiding yourself through this process. Yeah. At that point, I had completely lost all faith in any kind of Western medical doctor. And I'd actually tried to go and and get some sort of help and guidance, but not having a job and being homeless um, doesn't give you a lot of resources in this state when there are a lot of other... um, you know, people suffering from homelessness and mental wellness issues. So, um, and I can come off as being very functional at times. And so to them, to their perception of me was that I didn't need the services that they could provide. So I was sort of on my own and I just made sure that I ate a lot of really whole ground foods, foods that I could tell exactly what state they came from. I stayed away from caffeine and no alcohol, no drugs of any kind, um, did a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of journaling, a lot of random emails and phone calls to people <laughs> about all kinds of things. Um, and I, I really feel that the, the grounding um, and spending time in nature was what was most important for my own healing. Sounds like, that's, sounds like the, com- the connection with nature is a, is a big part of, of just your whole spirituality and your whole mm-hmm. otherworldly kind of uh, connection. Mm-hmm. So I, oh, I yeah. you've written this amazing zine, walking between the worlds, uh, mm-hmm. everyday journeys with everyday journeys within psychosis and mysticism, which is mm-hmm. really pretty. I mean, it's just there's just so much stuff in here about all your different experiences and um, struggling with different states of consciousness. And do you want to read some of this for us? Because I think it's really it's really pretty amazing. And I want to make sure and give people an opportunity to contact you and then get a copy of it. Sure, sure. Um, I love the I love the different um, titles. Um, uh, you know you're wildly manic when you know you're outrageously psychotic when uh, you know you're deeply depressed when. Yeah, you know this is a this is a I had never written a zine before. I, I I write lots and lots of stuff, and we were actually doing the Portland Zine Symposium last year for the first time, and we didn't have anything, and so I was like, oh, no problem, I'll write a zine. <laughs> Mania can be helpful sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, mm. and I was still on Well Beatron at the time, which gives you a lot of energy, and I was like, Psh, I could write this, no problem, and sat up for like two weeks straight and just sort of cut and pasted and wrote and whatever. So anyways, this is the product of that, which is actually in the process of being turned into a book, so pretty exciting um that's going to be microcosm publishing is going to do it i don't know yet um i i don't know actually um yeah well I'll congratulations because it it's really it's pretty it's a pretty cool thing so thank you very much i um let's see so some of this are actually posts from the icarus project website um but there is there's and uh yeah, so some things have changed since then. This was still in the me figuring it, it out phase of, of uh, 
uh, of it all. So this this reading is called Manic Nights, Depressive Mornings, and Twilight Psychosis. So she comes up on you in a sneaky sort of way, convincing you that you really are, that your experiences were just like everyone else's. You are fine, having a good time, relax. But then it turns into three poems, a metal symphony, two letters, and a drawing, all simultaneously being conducted in your mind via your third eye. Yes, all the connections are clear. Why were you so blind before? Good thing you've had three phone calls that you can't remember a word of or who they were to to confirm the meaning of it all. Right, yes, very colorful. But someone is messing with the visuals because they are laughing so loud. It's hampering your brain waves. So you look around ready to tell them off when you see that you are alone on a deserted street at 4 a.m. Where am I going? What city am I in? How did I get here? Oh, right, my magic carpet, the one I'm trailing behind me that masks itself as a backpack. We should be making a movie about interstellar manic space travel and how it is only possible for those with the mutant gene and will take over the world teaching everyone how to use their psionic powers right before one of us becomes president and blows up the pharmaceutical companies to liberate our mutant family members. I could make that film. And in fact, I will while writing it and playing some abstract role in directing the adventure. Now who could play me? Has this been done? Well, we'll do it bigger, better. Get on the bus, throw manic parties like the Merry Pranksters. Yes, it is all so clear now as to what I have to do. Now I just need to cross the street and figure out which direction to go in. As I am walking, I become aware that there are music notes in my hands and a song in my voice that I belt out while lying in the grass, staring up at the trees. They are trying to sing with me, but their voices are too high and it hurts my ears. So I pick up a leaf and stare at the veins to drown out the noise that threatens to make me bleed. I can hear you. Please tone it down. The tense of who I am changes with each parallel world I speak through while conversing with the trees. So the next night, when the moon comes up and her silver rays boil my blood with renewed energy and creativity, I realize that I am far gone and without a safety net. Quick, swallow some more pills before I take off again to Chiron to meet Pluto for a love affair. There is no skin left to bleed in an attempt to push my spirit back into my body. So please, please just go to sleep, I plead with myself. As high as I was in the sky before, the night, the night passed, I know that I'm going to crash land, going past Earth's crust to Hades, where I would be condemned to think about all the destruction I have caused. The hot tears spilling down my face have a purpose, a memory, a reminder. Each one is filled with an appeal to the moon to leave me be or teach me better skills, and nothing can cool the shame, not even the fifth ice-cold shower with my face pressed against the white porcelain. You know if you leave the shower, it's just going to start all over again, so I might as well stay where I will end up. No more climbing bridges, tempting the air currents. No more late-night walks and talks with strangers. No more hate-filled, confusing emails to people that have no idea why you're so angry. No more mad phone calls about things you can't remember. No more heart-wrenching sobbing with the realization that Gaia is dying and that you can do nothing to stop it. No more pins and needles on the skin due to the electricity in the air. No more forbidding your loved ones to do A, B, or C because it will give them cancer or heartache or tracking devices. No more dreamwalking. Please, no more. They are all getting so tired of you and your frenzied antics that change by the minute and blend into a self-destructive urge that confuses and hurts them to watch. The parent who is convinced his daughter has been abducted by aliens. The librarian who helps you check out 15 new books each day on some subject you'll never get through. The doctor who doesn't believe you are taking your meds, even though you are, so you must be immune. The social worker who believes you are acting. Your friends who just want you to calm down. And your brother who thinks you are just lazy. Or your partner who is terrified that you are going to make a big mistake while you are reaching for stardust. 
And in the morning, that is all you can think of. Oh, crap, what have I done? But the real battle is not with your parents or loved ones or friends or even with the drug companies. It is with yourself to keep breathing and stay centered while your mind is trying to feed your spirit to you through your pericardium. That is the real challenge. All these nights and days of roller coaster demolition has proved that there is nothing beautiful left in this wild ride that will last on its own. It's like dancing too close to a fire that warms you with passion, only to bite you on the butt with burn. Seven months and counting, it's all too obvious that you are not just one being, but rather a complicated mix of spirit and humanity that did not come with an instruction manual. You and those like you are the alien life forms. And right now, the possibility presented to all of us is that the medications we take are what will save us from exploding into rainbow particles and sunspot ooze, melting everything in our path with colorful streams. The multifaceted kaleidoscope being that we are and that I am feels defeated by this realization that their drugs are what are going to catch me and not my ability to fly. You know you are outrageously psychotic when the drawings you create come alive and move within the pages threatening to come out into the world and play. While normally this sounds like a lot of fun, you have been drawing monsters of late and you put your rubber bands over because you can't find any rope, the sketchbook, to keep them in and decide not to draw for a month. You actively search for Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The city becomes more of a trigger than usual, forcing you to spend nights sleeping or wandering around in parks because you are too far away from any forest. You you actively have conversations in broad daylight with trees, and people ask if you are okay, which annoys you to no end because they are being rude and interrupting something important. You know you are outrageously psychotic when the mirrors start to waver and they come crawling out. When the other world feels like home and much more welcoming and you are trying desperately to figure out a way to stay there or at least visit regularly without completely unraveling. You know you are deeply depressed when if someone says one more time, don't worry so much or cheer up, you know you will commit homicide. You think sugar can nourish yourself completely on You're paranoid that there is hate mail in your email account, so you check it 50 times an hour. There is no mail in your inbox at all, and so you take this as a clear sign that no one likes you. Your zits have become a map of all the mistakes you have made. You can't stop crying. You think your heart has stopped working. You decided to talk to to God, even though you don't believe in it per se, and the cat answers. You have to talk yourself into going to the loo. You know you're deeply depressed when it, you realize it's all coming down around you, but you can't remember what your own ro- voice sounds like, so you call up a stranger to remind yourself that you have one, that all you want to do is sleep into nothingness, but the nothingness has settled over your heart, which you have conveniently mailed to Avalon for safekeeping. The depression hangs on you like smog, and you really want to bury yourself in the snow for the next 600 years, but it's not snowing, and you don't have the energy to get to anyone. You think stopping your meds is the only way to climb up out of this hellhole called your life. Um, When reading email is the only contact with people you even want to have, and remember, it is all that you have right now. The only real friends you have left because you have alienated or pissed off the rest are the imps. When When you are thinking of murdering your friend when she arrives at your door unannounced to drag you off to lunch in the fresh air because she has had enough of your self loathing Um, You know you're deeply depressed when you curl around a pillow pretending it's human and it's the only source of comfort you have and the closest thing you've had to a hug in months. A friend gives you some condoms so you'll be prepared 
but you stare at them and can't remember how they work or what they will ever, you will ever do with them. And somehow this is so incredibly funny that you want to cry. Um, you know you're incredibly depressed when you search for famously dead people so that you can feel some sort of solidarity. So if you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking to Mina from the Portland uh, Icarus Project about her experiences with madness and the mental health system and mystical states. Uh, Mina, when was, that, uh, when was that written again? That was written last year during the summer. Yeah. Um, and some of my ideas around it have definitely changed. Um, I don't necessarily think the medical establishment is what's going to save us, but I do think in extreme moments when there doesn't seem like there are any other options and nobody is searching for any other options, popping a Zyprexa pill or some other kind of heavy-duty um, drug, it is what's going to help you in that moment. Um, as a long-term use, I've found that it doesn't work for me, but at the time, that's all that I had. So. Yeah, and we, know, and we also know from a lot of the studies and the research that we talk about on the show and at the Freedom Center and with the Icarus Project, the long-term outcomes are really bad with these drugs. Mm -hmm. So getting off of them short-term sometimes can make some sense for people, especially if you're interrupting a crisis or getting you to sleep. And I, um, I started threads like this on the site to kind of get people to sort of pinpoint what it is. What does mania look like to you? You know, what does psychosis look like? What does depression look like? So this is my favorite. <laughs> and these were all very, very true, true statements. Mania is buying an airline ticket, even though you are petrified to fly, to a country you have never visited, let alone even thought about to visit, a mystery person you met on the Internet in order to have an enlightened conversation about madness, because obviously there's nobody in your general direction that can have these conversations. But you're afraid they might try to murder you, so you set up three different outs, one in which involves some kind of snow machine you've never heard before. <laughs> Which I actually did do that. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that mania is actually something bad or not bad, good, bad. It's actually something that um, if we maybe learned a bit about it, that we could use it in some kind of, of way. Um, mania is running seven miles in the rain during the witching hour thinking you can outrun yourself while writing a letter, singing a song, and watching a movie on the inside of your cranium. Have you actually had that seven-mile experience, or is that someone else? No, that's, these are all me. These <laughs> wow. are all my own experiences. Um, yeah, I, I used to go running a lot as a way to get out my um, excess mania, um, excess energy, but I was finding that I was doing it at night, which at the time was helping, but in the long run it actually wasn't a good thing for me because it just gave me more energy. And so I had to keep running longer and longer and longer until I was up to like seven miles. And I was like, wait a minute, this is sort of ridiculous. And now I don't even know if I could run two miles. But. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the other ones here? Mania is being 86 from a grocery store for running inside to grab canned foods, which normally terrify you, but the war is coming and screaming for everyone to take cover because the bombs are on their way. Uh, Mania is purchasing commando gear and weapons at the local army surplus store so that you will be even better prepared. Then you call up everyone you know and urge them to do the same. Um, you can't remember when you actually showered, but you're pretty sure the new flies in the apartment are due to you. Oh, ouch, that's, that's painful. <laughs> yeah. You know you're outrageously psychotic when... 
You have no need for human nourishment, but because you are a creature of the earth, thus sustaining yourself on the elements, including spirit, for you have transcended physical needs. Um, you tiptoe around all the bugs on the sidewalk because you can hear them yelling at people, Watch out! I'm standing here! You carve symbols into your flesh in an attempt to keep your spirit in your body in the consensual reality and not let it take you into the beyond. Um, this kind of comes, brings in this sort of dangerous element. Um, right. There are some people who use um, really physical, physical ways like cutting or marking and not in a, quote, borderline kind of way. I hate using that term. And, um, but you sort of use like really intense um, things like cutting or marking or, or whatnot, um, harming themselves in a way to make them feel their body again. Um, in terms of psychosis, in my own experiences, is that you tend to not feel a part of anything anymore. You suddenly don't have a body. You don't have anything. You're just sort of this this spirit that is going around, and so you're trying to remind yourself that yes, you do have a body. See, look, you're you're bleeding, you're you're in pain, you're 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 whatever. And I don't recommend this to people. <laughs> this is something that was I sort of kind of grew out of. But at the time, I used to like mark myself in really shallowly um, in in ways that I could remind myself that I had skin and I had flesh, and that was quite some years ago. But um, now I, I try to like. I write on myself with a pen. I'll write myself messages. Or I have people, if people are around me, I have them pet my, my skin, like like holding me or like rubbing circles on my back so that I can start to feel the connection with my body again and not feel like I'm flying out somewhere, um, which I feel is really, really important is being able to, to be in tune with your surroundings and start feeling the physical world again. Yeah, that brings up for me something we were talking about before when, when people are in a state or some place or some plane of consciousness and they can't really seem to communicate about, about what they need. I mean, what are some of the things that you've learned from, uh, you know, you're being part of the Portland Icarus group, um, in, in turn to help people like that or respond, respond to them when they're in those states. And it's really hard to communicate with them. Um, one of the things that we talk about in the Icarus project is to have some sort of mad map, advanced directives, some sort of criteria of what you're going through and what you want people to be able to help you with. And it's an, an evolving, ongoing thing because you always find new things that help you and other things don't help you. Um, one of the things that we talk about is code words. You can't necessarily describe what you're in at the time. It, it can be either too hard to talk or you don't have the right language or you're not really even making any sense. And so having code words that describe those states um, that you usually get from hindsight, you're, you're not going to really know them at the time, and letting people know what those mean. Um, if you're in a heightened state where you're, you're, you know, you're talking a lot and you're just sort of in this like wildly um, upbeat, energetic kind of thing, they can even say that word to you and see how you respond to it. And having different words for different um, emotional sets, spiritual sets, whatever. Like what um, would be an example of that of how that would work? Um, okay, like when there's, there's a code word that um, I, I use when I'm, when I'm getting into this sort of, I'm sucking down in sort of state where I'm starting to lose touch with reality and I'm also losing the ability to speak. 
And I call that snow crash. So it sort of reminds um, me of not necessarily so much the book, but sort of like you look at the TV and the TV goes blank and there's all that snowy stuff. And then like, you know, sometimes the TV will go out. And um, Yeah, actually, I remember being around you when you go into those states. It's really scary. It's like you're you're gone. Yeah, so you're sort of have you you've crashed. You're basically crashed, and snow can fall very quickly without really seeing. You're like you look one second, it's like oh it's snowing. The next second, there's like you know five inches outside. So snow crash is sort of like this idea of like hey I'm slipping down, and sometimes I can't even say that. But if you at least know what it looks like, you know what to do. So, and then you sort of set up from your map. Okay, if you have snow crash, move two spaces too. Can you hear me? saying my name, saying nice things, um, removing sort of external elements that are triggering, um, lightly touching of the shoulders and arms, never the head, you know. And so we try to set up, like, having code words, having things that are safe for you, having things that are not safe for you, people that are safe, people that are not safe, using herbs, not using herbs, using flower essences, not using flower essences. And sort of becoming aware, and you're sort of testing yourself each time. Like, okay, you try this. Will this work? Okay, that made you worse. Let's not try that next time. So you're sort of testing yourself over and over again, coming up with information. So the Portland community has got a whole network of people who are sharing this information with each other and and know how to respond when someone goes into one of these states. Um, it's, it's definitely growing. Um, one of the things we touch on is that these states are really terrifying, um, not just for the people that are going through them, but for the people involved. You know, you, you see someone and they're screaming at the top of their lungs about things that you cannot see and you cannot hear. It's going to be pretty scary and it's going to be pretty triggering to them as well if they're having their own stuff going on. And so really making sure that the people around you are, are in a good place, um, not like, oh, I'm going to freak out today. Do you think you're in a good place for that? Like, not like that, but, <laughs> right. you know, having sort of like a phone tree set up in a sense. Like um, there were a couple people near me when I was going through something and they didn't feel like they could help me. So they called another friend and said, hey, how are you feeling? Do you think you can come down and help us with this? Some people want to go to the hospital. That makes them feel safe. Other people do not feel safe at the hospital. They want to be in a park. They want to be near trees. They want to just ride through the experience instead of jumping to that, oh, we should take them to the hospital. So, Yeah, because that's what, that's what usually happens is that people say, well, this person's freaking out. I'm not an expert. You're not an expert. So let's call the experts. And then you right. end up calling emergency services or 911. And then the person is on a conveyor belt, which for some people might be helpful for them. But for a lot of people isn't. And for a lot of people can be very traumatizing and very harmful and even violent to the person make make them worse so but it's important like you said to not rule that out the question is like what what does the person themselves want and Mm -hmm. a lot of the work it sounds like happens you know between the states that you've got an ongoing that there's not like this shame that you can't talk about it that you have these places that you go that you actually have the freedom with your friends to say hey you know sometimes this is where i go and this is these are the code words i want to use and this is what i want you to do when you uh when you hear the code words and and if you know that's i think that's why it's valuable to have groups like the icarus project and the freedom center because it's a mutual thing it's like i'm willing to help you because i know that you're going to help me 
uh, right. when I go into those states as well. Is there are there places where you know it feels like really scary and 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 dangerous? You know, when the person just has is like really not responding. There's no communication. There are no code words and what do you kind of do in those sort of situations someone who may show up at the group that you don't know or they go into something that's totally unexpected and it starts to feel like scary for people um we we do a lot of check-ins with people to see how they're doing um before or after an, an event if something like that's happening and um really we're all learning this and we're all taking care of each other and so if one person's freaking out and then another person is is freaking out because they're freaking out. You sort of divide the two and like, it's almost like, you know, being in some sort of crisis mode and people just pick up and they're like, okay, I'm going to take this person. You take that person. And you just sort of talk with them just like you would in any kind of crisis mode and figure out what's going on and using really calming voices. And if they're really flipping out really bad in a way that's, that you can't help them, um, then you, you do want to call, call someone, whether it's one of their, someone that they know or you, um, and we haven't really had too many situations like that at all, actually. Um, the only people who've ever really flipped out are people that we already knew. Um, I, if you're, you're in a group and someone is being triggered, just definitely try talking with them and using really calm, calm voice tones and, and good boundaries. You know, Don't just go up and start touching someone and being like, hey, are you okay? Because that might trigger them in a completely different kind of way. Um, and I, I want to mention that it really takes a lot to open up about these kinds of things. And so we, we need to sort of press ourselves out of these, these shameful, because we do tend to feel very shameful after, oh, I just flipped out, I can't believe I just did this or whatever, and, and reaching out to one another. It can be really scary, but if someone is reaching out to you to, you know, hear them so they're, they'll continue to do it. But it also allows for other people to feel like, they are building a community through trust that when they fall apart, that they can be helped. And they're going to feel really embarrassed at times, you know, and let them know that it is okay. It's okay to freak out. It, you know, you're around good people. We've all been there kind of thing. So that they're not feeling alone in this. So. And what's, and what's amazing, kind of the, the punchline to all this is that you guys have no funding from the mental no. health system <laughs> at all. It's all uh, just uh kind of selling selling cookies at fairs and that's like sc- yeah. scraping together change to uh mm-hmm. using donated spaces because this is i mean this is really the most effective way to help people but it's not on the mental health system's agenda and i you know i wanted to you know i've, I've uh covered on the show here some of the controversy around the police killing that has happened in the past in 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 Portland, I was wondering if you just want to talk a little bit about you know the police and how that sort of fits in to this the whole mental illness and violence and crime dimension, and then the police responding to that. Well, the way it's set up here in Portland is that the police have to respond um, if they're if if you call Cascadia or LifeWorks or one of the other um, mental health clinics around town, the police always come because we're considered to be dangerous and unpredictable, and so you need to have someone there. The problem is is that many of us are very triggered by the sight of police officers or, you know, any kind of severe authority figure who's holding, you know, weapons, you know, whether it's, you know, troops or whatnot. And yeah, so, I'm, I'm definitely in that yeah. category of triggered by authority figures with weapons. Yeah, yeah. right there with you. And, and so, you know, while I think that they, 
they come to it thinking that they're they're wanting to help. I, um, they get triggered by us being unpredictable because society views us as a, a completely different species and completely um, scary in a lot of ways. And so, therefore, although they want to help, a lot of times they often make the situation worse. Um, and so what's happening here is that there are quite a few groups that are helping to get um, the police and various uh, mental health professionals to start going through a training of understanding what is the best way to de-escalate a situation with a mad person and not not approaching them in such a, um, a forceful or harmful way. So um, there is this idea that once you have some qu- sort of serious quote, serious mental illness like schizophrenia or schizoaffective or bipolar with psychosis, you're, you're treading a, a different type of reality that they don't understand. And so it's very much like, oh, that poor person or, oh, you know, they're very kind, but, you know, they have these very un- unpredictable qualities that we don't understand. And to me, that's more of the issue. Like pr- police brutality is a completely different subject um, in terms of social the, the world around us stigmatizes us and doesn't believe that what we're going through can have any kind of spiritual or mystical element to it at all. And I think one of the reasons why that is is that completely questions reality. Here are people who are sensitive to emotional, physical, mental, spiritual states that some people have access to and some people do not. Well, why do they have access? How come I don't have access? Well, clearly it can't be a good thing. Look, they're unable to work. They're, you know cutting up their skin, they're losing their minds. Or, you know, so you have all these sort of judgments placed on people, of, of mad people who are going through things. And on the one hand, you want to say, oh, look, we have dangerous gifts. We just need to learn about that. But then you have society saying, okay, but you can't work and you can't do anything. And, and you know, not really seeing the interconnection about how society and, and the environment itself plays into how dangerous or how gifted we really are. Um, with that said, I think with James Chassie, you know, he just was probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. And in this kind of society where it's set up to be very unsafe to mad, for mad people to act in their natural ways, well, that wrong place and wrong time is going to be quite a few wrong places and wrong times. So um, I think just to sort of bring it on back around is that until we start understanding voices and visions and madness in a more spiritual light, it's never going to be looked on as something fondly or something to be understood or even something to be respected. Um, Instead, it's going to be, no, these people are dangerous. These people are unpredictable. They need to be medicated. They need to be kept somewhere else, and they need to be watched at all times. Well, we are just about out of time. I wanted to give people an opportunity to get in touch with you to, to get a copy of your zine. How would, they, how would they do that? Sure. They would do that by, they can contact me at Mina at the Icarus Project. It's M-I-N-A at the Icarus, I-C-A-R-U-S, project.net. Um, there's also some available via Reading Frenzy if you're local and in the area at Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. Um, yeah, so those are probably the best ways um, to, to get a hold of that. Yeah, and people can also get in touch through the IcarusProject.net uh, yep. website. Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining us today on the show. 
Thank you for having me. Um, take care of yourselves. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to an interview with Mina from the Portland Icarus Project, talking about her zine, Walking Between the World's Everyday Journeys Within Psychosis and Mysticism, and also about her experiences as someone who's diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder or schizophrenia. been listening to madness radio voices and visions from outside mental health madness radio is broadcast every wednesday 6 to 7 p.m eastern standard time on pacifica affiliate wxojlpfm 103.3 valley free radio in northampton massachusetts for our live internet stream podcasting show archives and more visit madnessradio.net madness radio is co-produced by freedom center and the icarus project For more information, check out freedom-center.org and theicarusproject.net. For more mental health radio, listen to the news hour from mindfreedom.org, Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, or you just want to share what's in your head, contact us at radio at madnessradio.net.